we want to make sure that people understand that the technology that we're developing can be leveraged far beyond prosthetics. We see the disabled community as technology pioneers instead of objects of pity. Welcome to the Epic Angels podcast. Every episode, we put the spotlight on one of our portfolio startups. My name is Mikey. And my name is Hester. After the conversation with the founder, Mikey and I will have a conversation together with one of our Epic Angels to reflect on this investment. Today, we're thrilled to present a company that's transforming lives through innovation, Vulcan Augmetics. Vulcan Augmetics is a Vietnam-based startup with a singular mission, reshaping the prosthetics landscape. Leveraging AI, they've been able to craft an affordable and adaptable robotic arm tailored for emergent markets. At the core of Vulcan Augmetics lies a steadfast commitment to pioneer solutions that bridge the gap between human capabilities and cutting-edge technology, unlocking the full potential of individuals across the globe. We're super happy to have its founders, Ella and Raphael, here with us. What you are building here is truly remarkable. Uh, Raphael, as the founder of Vulcan, I want to start with you. Can you share a bit more about your background and why you started Vulcan? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in the UK in a little town called Alton, and I was about 200 meters away from the biggest disabled college in the country, a place called Lord Mayor Trelaws. They do incredible work. So most of my teenage friends were in wheelchairs or were dependent on technology. And I've always had a very keen uh, understanding and interest in the extent to which this technology can improve people's lives. It doesn't take that much to make a massive difference. And the, the disabled community can generate extraordinary value. Um, after that, I went to university where I was also a, a carer for another disabled friend I had there. And then I came to Vietnam straight after university and got into education. And I ended up designing curriculums for mathematics, robotics, and science. And that got me into the maker scene, 3D printing, and robotics. I wanted to launch a startup um, revolving around disability, but uh, I felt I didn't know enough about business. So I took an MBA. And then about two months after I graduated, I bumped into somebody from a venture builder at a social networking event. We got talking about disability and the challenges of getting the right technology assistance to these people. And Vulcan just kind of grew naturally from that. That is super cool. And Ella, you're the co-founder and COO. How did you meet Raphael and what attracted you in this crazy challenge, basically, that he set out? Yeah, I met Raphael and back then the very small engineer team when they were starting off in a venture builder, Raphael mentioned. The project back then was called Iron Man and it was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. It resonated me a lot because I came from a uh, military background. My grandfather fought the war, the Vietnam War, and my dad served the military for 35 years. And during my childhood, I also got the chance to go on a lot of mission trips with that. He was doing like vacation for the military. So we went and met a lot of people from different walks of life. And I could see there is a huge community of people with disability in Vietnam, but there is not much support from the community and the healthcare system. It's even show for me more clearly when I studied in the UK how, you know, people with disability in such country have very different support. And so that's why when I met Raphael and saw like there is a great potential of bringing the technology so accessible to such emerging market where there's so low a number of people getting access to such healthcare, 
I think it's the project that I want to commit the big part of my life to, to bring to reality. Amazing. You are a deep tech company. I like how you frame it. You are a team of robotics and AI engineer, prosthetists and marketeers to build a future OS for augmenting tech, leveraging data from smart prosthetics arms usage. That is a whole lot in one sentence. Uh, can you unpack this for us in layman's terms? What is it really that you do? So our thesis is a uh, disabled community of technology pioneers. No, but wearables is a hugely increasing market. We're seeing people put technology on their bodies in all kinds of ways. You know, you've got VR and AR, exosuits, the skeletons, assisted technology, elderly care, like all kinds. And the people who wear this technology the most all day, every day are disabled people. And so it makes a lot of sense to use them to develop these types of systems going forward. No one is going to give you the same amount of feedback, the same amount of data. No one is going to be as enthusiastic about the product. And prosthetics, especially prosthetic hands, are one of the most advanced use cases for this. And it's also one of the places where you can see the biggest gap. Like there are nowhere near enough products available for the people out there. You know, 40 million amputees in developing nations. 38 million of them have zero access to care. So there's enormous potential here to leverage the disabled community to develop groundbreaking technology at the same time as helping them and improving millions of lives worldwide. It just, you know, it just makes sense to us. And, and if you look, so if I explain this, you're have, you have prosthetic arm, right? That is at a cost for the user of, what is it, $1,500, if I'm not mistaken? Whereas... Yes. Usually would be 20, 30K um, or not more. We are pricing to be a very accessible and affordable to emerging market and later to any other market that we expand to. The current product is yeah, $1,500, which is one fifth or one tenth of the cost of the most comparable functional product in the market. Yep. And the other thing that we do is we build a sensor system and an app. So putting it as quickly as possible, most sensors, especially in prosthetics, they are analog, they are wired, they are very uh, difficult to adapt to. There's a lot of intensive service and maintenance and manual labor involved. We have built a machine learning powered armband that has EMG sensors in it. You just slide it on and you open it up. You can calibrate it and connect it with your hands in under 15 minutes and be using a product. And this is in contrast to what is normally sort of at least 18 hours of manual labor to fit, physically fit a socket, and then another six hours of calibration in a clinic. So it, it's a much faster, more effective process. And with our app, it also means that the user has a lot more control over the process themselves, instead of being dependent on clinicians and technicians and having to go backwards and forwards to these places multiple times a year. When I hear this, and that was also the initial response for some of our angels, like, wow, this sounds too good to be true, right? How, how come no one else has been doing this? I think the simplest way to put it really is that they, they think in terms of building a better mousetrap. Everyone sort of looks at prosthetic hands. The deep, dark secret of prosthetics is that making prosthetic hands is actually pretty easy. Anyone can 3D print a bionic hand. And so what you see a lot of companies do is they try and make a hand maybe you know 20% cheaper and they think they've solved the problem. But the actual problem is distribution. It's scaling out, it's maintaining and sustaining users over time. It doesn't matter how fancy your hand is or if it's a little bit cheaper, if it's still impossible to trade on, you still got to make sure that it's well distributed. You've got to sort of take care of all of your users. 
So from the ground up, we tried to build an ecosystem of products instead of just one element of the system. Mm, I, I want to add a little bit here. Um, most of the product right now in terms of, you know, prosthetic hand are developed from the countries like the US or Germany. They basically develop for that healthcare system. And they are making so much money in this healthcare system when there is government and insurance support. And emerging market is not in their strategic channel yet. They're trying to break into these emerging markets, but they're not so successful. That's why we'll be very, you know, attractive, you know, acquisition very soon for them. Because we have this solution developed for emerging market from emerging markets that will be mass scalable at, you know, uh, for emerging market. Because the infrastructure isn't necessarily there to indeed spend all those hours and then with help from the sensors, the acceptance is much faster and therefore much cheaper. Uh, exactly. Yeah. They have zero motivation to be more efficient because the markets that they have right now in the West, they can sustain a huge amount of waste. But in emerging markets, you simply can't. There's not the infrastructure and there's nowhere near enough support. So you have to make something that's a lot more user-centric and practical, affordable, and something that they can deal with at home. So if you look at basically your assets, yes, you have the arm, but as you said, anyone can make that arm. That's not where the competitive edge is. It's the sensors. And I can imagine it's also the data that you're currently accumulating with all the sensors. Yes, exactly. We collect a lot of unique biometric data that enables some quite advanced controls based on reading the human body. And this is something that no one else is collecting either. The other prosthetics companies, they tend to yeah, just focus on the hands. And even the ones that make sensors, they don't actually collect that much data. They haven't built an ecosystem. They've just built a sensor that you put on a person and kind of forget about it. And is there any patents or IP that you have, how you can safeguard this? Yes, we have uh, a CASM on the hand itself, the mechanical elements, that's sort of basic hygiene. But most of our deep technology is on the software side, which is uh, a bit harder to patent. So we protect this through encryption, through black boxing it. The chips that we use in the sensors themselves, you can't actually read them without melting them. Um, and also the data that we collect, it's all kept back on our servers. We run sort of smaller local models on the user's phones, but... Just downloading the app is not going to give you access to any of the meaningful data or the larger scale models or algorithms. So there's the sort of two different approaches for hardware versus software. Yeah. And do you need approval certification to run? Because that's always in the healthcare industry. There's a lot of approval needed to launch. How does that work for you? Yes, prosthetic fans specifically are a class one or class A medical device, which is the lowest medical sort of standard. Um, there are also a whole bunch of exemptions for them. So there are two main health certificates that are globally accepted, CE certification from the EU and FDA from the US. And at the moment, we are applying for CE certification. Essentially, it's having your documents very, very clearly in order, having the right ISOs and making sure that you're product doesn't interfere electronically with other devices, so a set of lab tests. And then once you want to expand internationally, you need things like a free trade certificate and a basic import-export license. But because prosthetics is the lowest class of medical device, that actually makes things a lot easier and faster than it would otherwise be. That helps. And you're currently really getting some momentum. Right? You're establishing some partnerships with clinics, hospitals. I know here in Singapore with the Tantok Singh Hospital, you are focusing a lot on B2C as well, but there's the hospitals indeed, there, there is the government even. 
it's a pretty complicated ecosystem. What is your go-to-market strategy? How do you plan to tackle this? Yeah, so basically we're developing the product from Vietnam and we treat Vietnam as a launchpad market where we sell B2C to keep the closest contact with the direct user to accelerate our technology. And that's also one of the reasons why our sensor tech is so hard to catch up with <laughs> compared to the, the big players in, in Europe and the US. So in Vietnam, we sell B2C just to keep our technology accelerated. Uh, we expand into India and other markets now, uh, including the Middle East. And in this market, B2B and B2G, like selling to the government, will be our strategic channels. And our pricing has been uh, perfect. Like it's, we have been priced for that channels, B2B and B2G. And we have industry beating satisfaction and retention rate and good clinical feedback. So we think that we will be penetrating these markets very uh, aggressively next year. Next year, I think it's going to be that year of growth, right? I think right now you are at about 300K in revenue. Next year, it's anticipated to be a million. And not just revenue, but you even want to be profitable as well next year. Yes. So can you tell us a bit more about that forecast? Yes. So uh, this year, we hit 280K, which is already three times the revenue of last year. Uh, one of the reasons, because we also expanded into our sensor offering, uh, we mentioned about sensor technology. And then, but this is uh, revenue from B2C sales in Vietnam. Next year, we sell B2B and B2G in India and other market. Unfortunately, there is a rising conflicts in the Middle East, so there is a lot of inbound interest uh, to us. So Rafi mentioned that we are doing CE, which is part of the reason why we will unlock those markets with those certifications. So hitting profitably is completely achievable in 2020. It's like in the pipeline. We, we expect to be profitable in the second quarter of next year. And that's including all the market expansion that you want to do. So. Yeah, we'll be in at least five markets by end of next year. Great. And this is a very ambitious project that you're on to, and that also requires an equally ambitious and dedicated team uh, to do that with, with you. I mean, we're now speaking with the two of you, but could you elaborate a little bit on your colleagues and why this is the dream team? Why are you the right people to make this happen? Sure. So there are a few different key members of the team on the machine learning side. Our software lead there is a guy called Yui. He is currently doing a PhD in machine learning, robotics, and human interaction at Princeton University. And he's working with the DARPA and the DOD, some very advanced stuff. Occasionally, we lose him for a week or two as he goes off to a base and has to be quiet. And he's going to be coming back to Vietnam once he's completed his PhD and working with us full-time here. And he's been instrumental in developing that technology. We also have a fractional CTO, Mark Messina, who has 13 patents. He has worked for Philips in their medical device department. He was a ex, I think he was vice president of robotics for Amazon. And he's helping us scale up the product for mass manufacture so that we can make it a lot more economical and, and basically better quality. Yeah. And also Praveen. Yeah, I mentioned the India market. Uh, we were uh, lucky to also have Praveen, who, who has 20 years experience selling prosthetics across more than 30 countries, 30 markets. Uh, he had uh, helped one prosthetic hand company, like very premium one, selling in many markets. And he uh, has been the key uh, factor of driving our India market penetration and also the coming Middle East. So we have very, I would say, dedicated and experienced team in place. That sounds definitely like a dream team. 
You're currently raising your seed round uh, for 550K. You already have 350K committed from uh, investors like Quest Ventures and Race Singapore. I also know that Techstars and Crossfund uh, are some of your previous investors. What are the milestones you'd like to achieve with this round? Well, like we briefly mentioned before, with this round, we will hit profitably by end of Q2 2024. We'll be in at least five markets with B2B and B2G contract, which is recurring for the next three to five years. And we will acquire full licensing, CE and FDA approval to unlock further market from 2025. There are also um, a couple of patents that we're holding back. Basically, there are some things that we can't actually release yet because we don't want to do so until we've patented it. And there's also the calibration software that the user flow that we've developed, we think is quite unique. And so we want to uh, get that fully patented and covered. We see it a little bit like Amazon's one-click checkout. That was you know, what seemed fairly simple, but was patentable, protectable, and hugely profitable for them. And we think we developed a similar process for prosthetics and calibration. So we're going to get that fully covered. Wow. And how far will this this round take you? When will you raise your next round, basically? You three. Yeah, we're going to look at raising a series A, probably quarter three of next year, early quarter three. And our target is at least double the valuation. Yeah, because we're, we'll hit profitability by then. So we don't want to rush much into defining the next round yet because we'll be also exposed to many other financing options. Uh, but but yeah, the current plan is potentially Q3 will start raising the Series A's round. I mean, I can only imagine with what you're building right now, sure, right? You, you launch it all through the arm that you're launching at the moment. But that's just a starting point that to get all the user data and to really see how it works in practice, there's the sensors, there's the data. I can imagine there's quite some interest as well from the established players in the market and maybe not even in prosthetics only, but also in other industries actually, where they're looking at at robotics, at these sensors. Um, What do you see as potential exit scenarios? There are a few different ones that we're looking at. There are two primary channels that we see interest from. One is the prosthetics as a brand, and the other is the sensor technology separately. So on the prosthetic side, you have big players like Abbott and Ottobock. They have been trying to break into emerging markets, but they can't do it directly with the same brand without damaging their existing markets. So it's their strategy so far has been to expand through acquisition. Autoblock in particular has been very aggressively acquiring companies the last few years. Uh, on the sensor side, there are a few companies that we're already talking to. Um, there's one in particular that is interested in our sensors as control devices for teleoperated robots for elderly care. We also know that there's uh, a few different sensor companies that are looking at um, remote monitoring and uh, pharmaceutical trials. At the moment, about 15% of pharmaceutical trials use remote monitors. That's projected to be 50% by 2027. So that's another potential exit scenario. I mean, we would like to IPO. I think everyone would. But an acquisition is far more likely in the next three to five years. I can see that. And what's your tip for potential investors that are listening? Why should they invest in Vulcan? Because they get to do well by doing good, in essence. We are a company that has very good proprietary technology. We are a deep tech for-profit company. There's a huge potential market, not just in prosthetics, but in other adjacent markets. 
but we also happen to make the world's most affordable, most accessible, easiest to use and easiest to access prosthetic, something that meaningfully improves people's lives, gives them back their independence, helps their family regain financial independence. It's, yeah, it's just, uh, for us at least, we think it's a bit of a no-brainer if you want to get a lot of money, but also know that you're making a positive impact in the world at the same time. And I think one other thing I'd add to that is, We've been told previously by investors, we've actually had investors say that they don't want to invest in tech companies that are involved in disabled technology because they feel like it's exploitative. And for us, it's almost the exact opposite. The, the disabled community out there have enormous value that is completely untapped. These people are tech pioneers. They're wearing technology all day, every day, generating huge amounts of data and feedback. And as far as we're aware, we are the only company in the world that actually sees them like this and sees them as these tech pioneers who should be leading us into the future. So if you share that perspective and think that the disabled community do have that kind of value, then I think Vulcan is a perfect place to put your money. Amazing. We're very excited about having Vulcan as our first investment in the Vietnamese market. I've been spending a lot of time in Vietnam this year. I've been working with startups and the venture capital ecosystem, and I really love the energy in Vietnam maybe especially the food and the karaoke. <laughs> so next time when I'm in Ho Chi Minh, we're definitely going to do some of that. Thank you so much, Ella and Rafael. We've learned a lot from the two of you. Stay tuned and we will continue our podcast with Hester and not one, but two of our Epic Angel investors to hear more about why we are interested in investing in Vulcan. Now let's hear from the investors what they have to say about this startup. And please remember, we're not a financial advisor. All opinions expressed by Epic Angels are intended as educational and reflect the personal research and experiences of the team. Today we have two investors to join the conversation. We have Anandita Savitri from Jakarta, the Regional Director of Operations for McKinsey, who is very passionate about solutions that are an actual invention in itself, leveraging tech and achieving social impact. And then we have Chi Nayan, who's one of our Vietnamese investors, working at Google and driving social impact in Vietnam through DR Community, an impact-driven community providing content and learning solutions for Vietnam's youth. Welcome both. It was so great to hear from the Vulcan team. Vulcan is really more than a tech company that has become very clear. Anandita, what is it that attracts you most in Vulcan Augmentics? Well, Master, you know, technology can give a lot to us. I am always drawn into technology that solve existing problems. And a lot of these existing problems are really basic problems like mobility, quality of life. So to me, this is an intersection of doing good because we enable people to live quality life. But at the same time, it is also addressing a large untapped market. So this seems like a utopian dream to me. I hope like it's not a dream. Let's make it a reality. Mm, that's wonderful. Chi, what is that for you? Um, for me, uh, what attracts me to Vulcan is particularly around the integration between technology and what the benefit for the wider community, especially the community that is less unfortunate with the disability in particular. And the fact that, that I also really like it, um, about Vulcan is that about the affordability of technology. Right? I think they talk about how these current technology that available for people, but mostly for the Western culture and Western people, it was not designed for the emerging market. And the, the way that they think in their mind, it's like, what is the affordable ability 
how can we adapt the technology to the emerging market? So I just like the fact that they put that as a front and center and then not kind of designed for the Western culture in particular. And in particular for me, from a Vietnam uh, perspective, I mean, back in Vietnam today, every time I come back to Vietnam visit and I'm just so surprised and impressed by the technology and how the trend uh, of people in, you know, for me, engage with my mom in particular, she's in her mid 60s, adapting to technology, using e-mobile paying payment. I feel like they, in some sense, adapted doctor a lot, you know, faster and more easier compared to the Western side of things. And the fact that the, the company itself designed for the mass market, right? It helped to drive that productions as well as adoption. I think the team in, in particular, both the team also make up a lot of great team member, Ella in particular, I think very impressed with her ability to deliver and with the co-founder. And then I think they have also lots of engineering team behind from both electrical, mechanical background, ML, AI. So very impressive team in general. And I think that drive the great product that they have today as well. Yeah, right. I can see what uh, what you say with the Vietnamese people. And I wonder, maybe you can shed some light on this. What is it with the Vietnamese people that makes them so good with tech? I think part of it is background is like, I think culturally we all drawn toward more like, you know, like the science aspect, a lot of great education on the science, math, physics, and chemistry. So that side of thing is very strong foundation from a school phase. I, I can definitely see even international, lot, lots of strong individuals that thrive in the STEM education aspect. And I think they, they're like, that's why I say, when I look at the background, the team, great PhD, great, like MS student or background, like in the, the, the engineering degree. And that's why I see like, you know, they have a great potential of driving the product that's meaningful, but also have a great technical background and engine behind. Yeah, yeah I can absolutely see that. Hey, Mike, you have seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of companies. And maybe you shared what I also had in the beginning when I saw these companies, like, nah, that's almost too good to be true. It really is a blue ocean. They're really innovating in that space, which is a pretty unique space to innovate in. There aren't that many blue oceans out there. And the more I learn about this world, the more I think there actually are, right? They really have found this unique spot where they can be at least the first or one of the first to capture this. Yeah. And especially the data element that they capture has huge potential to further leverage this, which is super exciting in the day and age of AI, which we live in now, what they can do with this. And their whole view, I find super interesting, how they view the people who have amputated limbs, that they see them as tech pioneers rather than objects of pity. I love that view. That is a perspective that is really constructive and really helps all sides forward. I haven't seen that before. Have you? I agree with that view that we shouldn't see them as somebody that need help. But there's a lot of untapped potential with amputees or disabled people. It's just that we have to unlock it. Now, if we find like the way to unlock it, there you go. This is one of them. Talking about unlocking the potential of what they are doing, given that they are a B2B and B2G business model, that means that they're selling to governments, which all, as we know in Southeast Asia, have their own standards, have their own regulations, etc. And to which extent do you see this as a challenge for further scaling their solution outside of Vietnam? In Vietnam in particular, I think the, the reason that they are thriving is because there's a large population of amputee. 
I think, as you know, there's a history of the war. So I think a lot of people still dealing with the consequence today. And a lot of them are under the government benefits and programs. So I think the B2G is uh, able to thrive in Vietnam. And in think other countries, similar to like Cambodia or nearby country that in experience the sort of similar situation through the world and the impact of the world, they, they will have the benefit of that B2G model. But if you're thinking about outside, I know they have started entering the market in India in particular. I think the model, it needs to come back to like how affordable can it be in order to serve the mass population. And I think they are addressing that front and center. So with that in mind, I think they will have no problem in going to the B2G market, B2B market in particular, because there's will be demand and then there will be more adoption of the technology, adoption of the hardware and then the tool itself. And therefore, I think in, from a scalable perspective, I think as long as they make it affordable and, and it's impactful and people see the outcome and impact, it, I think it will uh, be able to kind of manage and, and, and expanding. Yeah, this is a very uh, valuable contribution because this is indeed the perspective that we should take, the, the background of Vietnam, which other countries also have. This perspective that you give of Vietnam with the war in the background, I think this is very key to understanding where Vulcan comes from and also the added value it can bring to countries that have similar history. On top of that, the data that they collect, I think, can be very valuable in countries that do not have this history and can be leveraged in all sorts of situations where people are in the same situation. I like the fact that they're already trying to expand to other market. In particular, they're already exploring India. Also, when I listened to the founder call recently, they mentioned the part about mass production to scale. So that's from a hardware standpoint. So like kind of getting them to the market. But the software, that's where the IP is and it's critical. And I just love to see more about how they're going to developing the AI and ML model to leverage the best that data to kind of drive the improvement of their technology in general. And really that vision of getting to that operating system. That's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. So... That's great. Looking at the traction that they already have, I think that is great, right? So they do three times revenue from last year and they plan to be profitable by Q2 of next year. This is set to grow further. If we look beyond this, what do you see as potential exit scenarios for this company? This is a market that before we get introduced to Fulton, we didn't even know it existed somewhat, right? I can only imagine. There are already a few established companies out there doing prosthetics, but I am not sure that they are doing what Fulton does, like to make it better from a technology point of view and also to make the production cost less. I am imagining they will be a very easy target for acquisition for these companies. And then aside from that, if we really go deep dive into what they are doing, sensors are useful in a lot of applications and good sensors are good sensor technology. People that need good sensors, this could be a robotics company, virtual reality, augmented reality. That's very interesting indeed for other industries that the sense they develop can be useful. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Would be somewhat unbundling. Yeah. Michael, from you, any views on their exit, what they mentioned? No, for sure. I think the hardware is just the way to market right now, but uh, that's that's only the beginning. It's all in the data. It's all in the sensors. 
and not even only for disability, but for many other uh, reasons as well. So I definitely expect an acquisition in the robotics sphere somewhere. That's, I would not be surprised if that would happen. I mean, it took five years and didn't get to service just now. It's a deep tech company that really took a long time to develop this, to get to market. And they're only just starting. I can really see that. I'm very excited for the future of Vulcan Augmentics. Chi, Anandita, thank you very much for joining Investor Talk. It was a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed looking behind the scenes. The objective of this podcast is to demystify angel investing and to share insights so you can learn more about the world of venture capital. Interested to see if you can become an angel investor yourself? Contact us via info at epicangelnetwork.com or go to our website at epicangelnetwork.com.